Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hey, what's up? My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I'm the host of the Clumsy Theosis podcast. Welcome. I'm really happy that you're here today because we are getting towards the end of our series on salvation history. And if you're not familiar with what that is, salvation history, it's basically like a chronicling of God's salvific plan that we can read in the scriptures, starting from Adam all the way through Jesus and the Eucharist. And it really shows how God has been actively present throughout all of the history of humanity. And that was for one purpose. The purpose was to bring us to himself, into his family, and into everlasting life. And today we're going to start talking about Jesus and the final covenant. And that's not just confined to his passion and death on the cross, but it also includes what he did in the upper room on Holy Thursday and what we continue to do today during the Divine Liturgy and the Holy Mass every Sunday. And in order for us to get a full picture, we have to know what God told Israel to anticipate before Jesus was born, right? Before he was born, he was telling them what to anticipate, what was going to be a part of this final covenant. And this is it's so exciting for me, this topic, but if I do not sound excited <laughs> throughout this recording, I do want to put in a word of warning. I have been fighting this um, sore throat, cold thing, and I've been putting off recording this episode until I was able to have a stronger voice. And it seems like I can't put it off any longer, and this is as strong as my voice is going to get. So in order to preserve my vocal cords for future recordings, which I have to do in a couple of days, yeah, I might not sound super pumped, but please know that I am because this is a very exciting topic for me. All right, last week we discussed David and the covenant that God made with him, right, in which God promised David a son, a son that would do three things, which would be to build a house or a temple for God, um, to be adopted by God, and to rule Israel forever. And remember that I pointed out how the word for son, you know, which was offspring or seed, can have two meanings. It could either mean the immediate son of David, who would be Solomon, or a future descendant or an heir of David, who we know today is Jesus. All right. And as Catholic Christians, we can't help to see everything in the light of Christ. So when we hear that son or offspring or seed in this sense could mean either or, it's easy for us to actually look at it and say, yeah, you know what? It doesn't It doesn't mean either or. It actually means both and. And we can see this in the scriptures that Solomon was able to build a temple for God. He was an adopted son of God. However, he didn't end up ruling Israel forever. Jesus, on the other hand, he was able to build a temple for God, which we refer to as the new Jerusalem. He is the son of God. And in scripture, we read, at his baptism, that his sonship was acknowledged by God, just in case anybody was confused. And with regard to ruling Israel forever, yes, Jesus is the successor of David and Solomon and does rule forever as king of the universe. Being able to read the Old Testament in the light of Christ is what St. Augustine was referring to when he said, most famously, the Old Testament is revealed in the New and the New Testament is concealed in the Old so what else is concealed in the Old Testament that is revealed to us 
because we now know of the New Testament in Christ. Okay, for that, today we're going to look at the prophets. Yes, we're going to be talking about Jesus, but the foretelling of Jesus through the prophets. And they're going to tell us of a new, everlasting covenant of peace. All of those descriptors will make so much more sense to you by the end of this episode. This covenant that we're going to talk about, it's a future covenant that is referred to as a new, everlasting covenant of peace. All right, so in order for us to bridge the gap between David, who we last talked about, and Jesus, who we're going to be talking about, I mean, there's roughly about a thousand years between the two of them. Let's do like a really quick run through (laughs) what happened. Uh, So Solomon, yes, the son of David, he builds the temple to God, and he's actually able to bring the kingdom to its height with regard to riches and luxuries. Solomon was known for his wisdom, a wisdom that he clearly was not using when he started to take on all of these foreign brides, right? So we have polygamy in the kingdom, a bunch of foreign wives, which means a bunch of foreign gods to which Solomon started worshiping for, you know, to to placate his, his many wives. Now, without right worship in a kingdom, right rule is going to fall shortly after. We've seen this in the other covenants that we've uh, gone through, right? You need right worship in order to have right living and right ruling of the kingdom and the people. All right. So about 200 years after Solomon had brought the kingdom up to its height, literally it broke apart. The 10 tribes in the north became known as the house of Israel, and they appointed their own king who was not from the line of David. And that's important because we just talked about the covenant that God made with David, how his son or descendant would be the one who would rule Israel forever. Yeah. So I don't know what they were thinking during that time. Anyways, the two southern tribes that were left, they stayed true to the temple as well as to the line of David, and they were known as the house of Judah. Now, through all of this strife and this um, breaking apart of the kingdoms and this idol worship, God does what he always does. He sends someone to help. And in this case, it was a lot of prophets. And prophets have two roles, basically. One is to chastise people for what they're doing, you know, like stop doing these sinful things, stop doing these wrong things. Why? Because they have to then follow it up with the second thing that prophets are supposed to do, which is call people to repentance, call them to return to God and to be faithful to God. Now, prophets aren't speaking on their own behalf. They're speaking on behalf of God. They're relaying messages to the chosen people of God because God wants them to live happily, to live holy, to be a part of his life as well. And today we're going to be talking about three specific prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. But before we jump into each of them and what God was saying through them, this is the part of the show where we take a moment and thank our donors. Uh, This week, our donor that we are acknowledging is Catalina. What's up, girl? Thank you so much for your donation. People like Catalina are extremely important to Clumsy Theosis. Not that you're not important also, but our donors are really important because Clumsy Theosis is 100% listener-supported, so everything that we do is only possible because of the support from people who have found value in Clumsy Theosis and would like other people to be able to benefit from what we're doing here on this ministry as well. 
If that sounds like you, if you would like to help other people learn more about this show and learn about the things that we talk about on this show, I invite you to consider donating. If you would like to become a donor, all you have to do is head to the website, clumsytheosis.net, and when you're there, you click the word donate in the menu, and you have options now. You can either become a monthly donor like Catalina, or you can do a one-time donation, and there's a few options for you to do that in the best way that works for you. Any amount that you can give is highly appreciated, and it all goes back into the ministry to expand our reach and to conquer new platforms and to just get better quality and better resources available for everyone. All right, so back to those prophets. First, we're going to delve into the prophet Isaiah. He or Isaiah, whichever you prefer, Isaiah, Isaiah. He was prophesying, delivering God's message to the people during this time when the house of Israel in the north, right, when they were splitting off from the two tribes in the south. And you're probably familiar with Isaiah if you have listened to the O Antiphons or if you've been paying attention at all during any Advent season ever in the Catholic Church because during Advent, we really emphasize this prophet because his prophecies were of the Messiah, of the anointed one. And an interesting fact about Isaiah is that he's sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel. His book in the Old Testament is sometimes referred to by scholars and theologians as the fifth gospel because he does prophesy so heavily about the Messiah. So I want you to pay particular attention to chapters 9 and chapter 11 in his book. For this episode, I'm just going to point out some very specific verses and such from each prophet because we really don't have a lot of time. So go and read those two chapters. But right now I want to point out Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. We read this during Advent, so you're probably familiar with it. It wasn't that long ago. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called, okay listen to this, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So basically what's happening here is God is telling the Israelites through Isaiah that you're going to get a new ruler who is basically going to be divine. All right, that's that's huge, right? That's never happened. And later on in chapter 11, when Isaiah is talking about this ruler who is going to come, he says that this ruler is going to be from the line of David, right, which we know is important because of the Davidic covenant. But he's not just going to be from the line of David. He's going to be greater than David. And remember, David was the son of God, which made him a new Adam, which made him a priest, prophet, king, and bridegroom, and all of the responsibilities as well as all of the gifts that came along with being a son of God. So that is amazing to know that he's going to be greater than David. Also, this ruler is going to be greater than Solomon and all of the wisdom that Solomon had. So the new ruler is going to be divine and he's going to be greater than David and he's going to be greater than Solomon. Later on in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, God says, now God is talking to this future ruler, right? He's no longer talking to the Israelites. He's talking to this ruler that's going to come. And he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. Right. Really quickly, did you catch that wording? Right. That wasn't just awkward biblical wording. 
God was very serious and very direct when he said, I have given you as a covenant to the people. So this new ruler himself is going to be the covenant. All right, this point in the series, I think we're pretty familiar with covenants, right? We've heard the last five covenants that God made with different figures throughout history. But throughout all of those instances, we have never heard of any one of those people themselves personally being the covenant. All right, this is the first time that that is even a possibility, right? Like we don't even know, can that happen? Or the Israelites at that time, they're like, can that even happen? Can a person be a covenant? A person can make a covenant, but can a person be a covenant? All right, we're going to see as we go on, but for now, we're just going to go with it. Now, with regard to how this covenant is going to work, Isaiah relays that to the Israelites in chapter 55, and this is verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it for you. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without pay. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in fatness. Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. All right, so God is telling the people that this future covenant to come is going to be considered an everlasting covenant. All right, so some big takeaways from this is that the covenant is intended for specific people, and those people would be those who are hungry and poor, right? And if they come and if they eat, okay, that's not just some flowery poetic language. That's literal, as we're going to find out. If they come and eat, they will be part of this everlasting covenant. And it says that the covenant will be one of steadfast, sure love, like the sure love that God has for David. Again, this isn't one of those instances where it just seems like it's just pretty flowery language. God is making a point here, and he's saying that I'm going to continue the love that I have for David in this new covenant, meaning I'm going to stay true to that covenant that I made with David, right? Because remember, there's three things that David's son is supposed to do, and the third of which is he's supposed to be a ruler of Jerusalem forever, okay? Um, that hasn't happened yet. So God is alluding to that and saying, this covenant is going to be a continuation of the covenant that I made with David. But now, remember, the very first thing we pointed out here that this covenant is intended for everyone who is hungry and poor, right? So God is expanding who is going to be able to benefit from this covenant, who's going to be a part of it, who's going to be allowed in. Let's take a moment and board the history train really quickly and look back at those 10 tribes in the north who made up the house of Israel. Because remember, Isaiah's prophesying during the time when all of this drama with them is happening, well, in the end, what happens to them is they don't turn from their ways and they are eventually conquered by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians sent them all into exile. And unfortunately, all of those 10 tribes, they were lost forever. And we see in future exiles that the 
the Israelites are allowed to return, but not in this instance. So that's really unfortunate. About 150 years after that happens, those two southern tribes um, who made up the house of Judah, they're starting to have their own troubles with the Babylonians. And you might know where this is going (laughs) because most people do know of the Babylonian exile. All right. Well, before that happens, before the exile, God sends prophets to the two tribes in the south. And most notably, that prophet is going to be Jeremiah. And Jeremiah does what all prophets do. You know, he reminds them to be faithful and he warns them of what's going to happen if they're not faithful, which primarily that is going to be God is going to remove his protection from them. And since they're having issues with the Babylonians, you know, if they don't turn back, then the Babylonians will overtake them, which we do know actually happened. Um, But this message from God through Jeremiah was delivered to the Israelites from 645 through 585. Now, among the many woe to the sinner messages that Jeremiah reveals to them or relays to them. There's going to be four chapters in the book of Jeremiah that scholars and theologians refer to as the book of consolation, because these are the only four chapters that you're going to find a consoling word or a hopeful message. And uh, that's going to be chapters 30 through 33. And so I encourage you to read those four chapters, 30 through 33. I want to point out chapter 33, starting with verse 31. God says this through Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, okay, remember that, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, right? They're referring to the covenant God made through Moses. My covenant which they broke, Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So to summarize, there's going to be a new covenant, okay, a new covenant versus an old covenant, you know, with Moses. And remember the old covenant made through Moses, the law was written on what? Tablets of stone, right? The Ten Commandments were on tablets of stone. But now in this new covenant, God's going to write his law on their hearts. And that's because God is making something very clear here. He's um, echoing a point that he made in the Davidic covenant, but now he's making it very clear. He's basically saying that what is inside is what matters. You can do all of these exterior purity, cleansing rituals and observances, but they're not going to be better than having a pure, clean heart. And remember with David, when he was being chosen from amongst his brothers, they all kind of had the outward appearance of a king. You know, they were big and strong and brawny. David, on the other hand, was not. But He was chosen not because of what he looked like on the outside, but because of his interior. And that's why we refer to him as a man after God's own heart. All right. So God is making that very blatant. Now, you you know, saying you need to have an interior, which is after my own heart. 
And I pointed this out, but I really want to make it very clear that God is calling this a new covenant. This is the first time in the Old Testament, actually it's the only time in the Old Testament, where the term new covenant is used when referring to this future covenant that's going to happen. So it's really interesting when you read the Gospel of Luke, when he is telling us about the Last Supper, and Jesus says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. All right. Jesus is being very specific in his choice of words. He is saying new covenant, which is only used once in the Old Testament by Jeremiah during this very important part in his prophecies. So the Jewish reader is supposed to recognize that, and the Jewish reader would have recognized that, and they would have thought of this prophecy of Jeremiah, of this new covenant. Now, something that's also really cool about this term new covenant, now during the Mass, You may have noticed, after many years of receiving the Eucharist, uh, the priest refers to the Eucharist as a new and everlasting covenant. That's not accidental. What's happened here is we have combined these two prophecies from Isaiah, who refers to the covenant as everlasting, and Jeremiah, who refers to it as a new covenant. All right, next time you're at Mass, pay close attention because you're listening to the prophets and You're listening to the prophets talk about the Eucharist, all right? A lot of people overlook that. They're talking about the Eucharist. All right, moving forward, let's talk about Ezekiel. Uh, He was, he's the final prophet we're going to talk about, and he spoke to the Israelites on behalf of God from 590 through 570 BC. Now, he was a priest in the temple, and so the temple is going to be really important to him, especially since the temple was destroyed when the Babylonians took over the southern kingdoms, right? Remember, God said, you know, be faithful to me or else I'm going to, you know, basically remove my protection. And they weren't faithful, so God removed his protection. The Babylonians took over and destroyed the temple and the southern tribes were sent into the Babylonian exile. When you read Ezekiel, pay close attention to chapters 34 through 37. So today, right now, I want to point out Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 27. And I'm going to try to emphasize the more important bits from this passage. All right. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to observe my ordinances. So the high points here that I try to emphasize is when he's talking about sprinkling them with water to cleanse them from their sins. All right, he's referring to the sacraments. He's referring to baptism and the cleansing from sin. He's also saying something about them getting a new heart and a new spirit, and that's going to help strengthen them from sinning. And this is similar to what we heard Isaiah say about them getting a new heart. All right, further on in chapter 37. So chapter 37, in the middle of verse 25, it starts like this. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. 
I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will bless them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. All right. So I don't know if I did a very good job of emphasizing because it seemed like most of that was uh, important. And so I emphasize a lot of it. Basically, David's heir is going to be prince forever, a.k.a. he's going to be the king and his covenant will be restored, right? So the descendant of David is going to be the king and that's going to restore the Davidic covenant, which we've already kind of seen in the previous prophecies, especially from Isaiah. But I also want to call your attention to something very important here, where God refers to this uh, future covenant as a covenant of peace, Right. And that's not the first time because in chapter 34, he does describe this future covenant. But when he does, he refers to it in Edenic terms, which means in terms that remind us of Eden. Right. Because he talks about a perfect peace between God and man and animals and creation. And we've only ever seen that in existence in Eden. Right. Now, the last thing I want to point out from here is when he says that. There's basically going to be a new sanctuary, and it's going to be in the midst of the people. And when he's saying that, he's referring to a new temple. And Isaiah and Jeremiah, they also talk about a new temple, which, you know, brings me to an interesting point. The temple is actually connected to all of the covenants. It's been connected to all of the covenants that we've gone over so far. And it's also going to be connected to this new covenant that we're starting to delve into with regard to Jesus and the Eucharist. Now, previously, I did mention that the interior of the temple was decorated to be like Eden, you know, like lots of the imagery and the vessels and stuff like that is supposed to remind you of the original sanctuary in Eden. Um, And then with regard to Noah and the ark, remember that the ark was basically a floating Eden and the construction of the temple itself, the temple was constructed with three floors, just like the ark was constructed. And then Abraham, I don't know if I got into this. We might not have had time. With regard to Abraham, the sacrifice of Isaac, that took place on Mount Moriah, which is a huge mountain range. And not just on any place on this mountain range, but the exact same place where Isaac put himself willingly on the pyre in order for Abraham to slew him as a sacrifice to God. The exact same place that happened is where the temple was built. And that was done on purpose. And just a quick note, some people wonder what the efficacy of animal sacrifices had in the temple. Well, they all go back to Isaac and his sacrifice and his willingness to be a sacrifice and the fact that all of these animals in the Old Testament are going to be sacrificed in the temple on the exact same spot. That's what made them efficacious. All right, now that I'm done nerding out over little details, back to our covenants and the temple. Who did I? Okay, we need to pick up with Moses. All right, Moses. Now, the temple is the new resting place, or it was the new resting place for the tabernacle. And remember, God um, instructed Moses to construct the tabernacle, which was where God's presence dwelled. But now the new resting place for the presence of God is in the temple. Now, with regard to David, the temple itself was promised in the covenant. So the the temple itself is part of the covenant that God made with David. And then with Jesus, and back to uh, Ezekiel in this prophecy and um, how there's going to be a new sanctuary in the midst of the people, 
Remember that Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. He also says, tear down this temple and within three days I will rebuild it. And we know that Jesus is talking about himself. And he's basically saying that he's the fulfillment of this prophecy by Ezekiel. And and not just himself as in the God-man himself, but also the Eucharist, which is his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Because the Eucharist will stay at the center of the church, of our faith. And it's so there's there's lots of dimension. There's many levels here in these prophecies with regard to Jesus. Yes, it talks about him fulfilling things from the aspect of being the God-man, but then also as the Eucharist that is left in the midst of the church, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, which is, as the prophets say, the new everlasting covenant of peace. Right, So many layers, so much to just chew on and meditate on. Now, for the um, between now and the next episode, do read what those prophets said, particularly in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and then chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and then Jeremiah chapters 30 through 33, and Ezekiel 34, 36, and 30. Seven. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about Jesus and how he is the new covenant, how he fulfilled all of the previous covenants and so on. And we're finally going to talk about how with every single covenant God made with all of these figures, how God was expanding his family and expanding his reach and making the covenants more accessible to the world. All of the scriptures that I referenced or explained in this episode are down in the show notes. So if you weren't able to write them down, have no fear. I have taken it upon myself to type them up or at least tell you the biblical address where you can find everything. They're down in the show notes. Also in the show notes, there's a link for you to sign up for the weekly email, which has the great bonus of you being able to have each episode emailed directly to you. So you never miss an episode and you also get information information. There's also a link if you would like to donate in the show notes as well. Until next week, peace out. Thank you for tuning into Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.